Hello and welcome to the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. My name is J.R. Everhart. Some call me a minister, others call me pastor, most call me friend. Um, Today's subject matter is a little dicey, a little spicy, and something that is probably not appropriate for young ears. So if you are listening to this podcast on a hands-free device in your car with the kids, uh, I would suggest that you stop the podcast and and come back to it when you can listen to it in a a private format uh, or be able to put your earbuds in or something like that. Or if you want to listen to it with another adult, maybe your husband or your wife, uh, someone who is uh, mature enough to be able to handle a subject like today. Uh, And with that being said, today's subject is about... um, sex slash porn addiction. I probably spend more time in my counseling, uh, the counseling part of my life, talking about sex addiction and porn addiction. Uh, I counsel exclusively uh, guys, you know, so uh, this this is something that guys tend to struggle with more than women. Although, if you want to know the specific numbers, uh, I think most recent polls have 70% of men openly admitting that they struggle with some sort of uh, a porn addiction. That number goes up into like the 85, 87 percentile when you add in men who openly admit that they view porn. Um, 70% acknowledge they have an issue with it or it is an issue in their life. Uh, 30% of women admit that uh, they view porn and it is an issue in their life. If I had to guess, I have read some secular numbers that had the women up closer to 48, almost 50%. But uh, I think it's a pretty common understanding that men are the ones that struggle with this uh, most. Sadly, the numbers between, uh, the addiction numbers between Christians and non-Christians is not any different. Um, men and women in church are struggling with uh, pornography addiction or some form of sex addiction uh, just as much as non-Christian men and women. Uh, So there's really no significant difference in the numbers there. Uh, I heard a number some years ago that I'm sure is much larger now that uh, it's like 40% of church pastors uh, have a secret porn addiction. That's four out of every 10 pastors are struggling with pornography. Let that sink in for a minute. That's, that's pretty crazy. So let's start out and let me, let me preface with this. Um, I'm not going to be able to cover everything about this in one podcast. We will probably touch on this many times throughout, um, these podcasts on this channel. Um, because it's something I deal with more than anything else uh, inside of marriage counseling, inside of one-on-one counseling with men. Um, I've had some women come to me expressing that their their husbands were struggling with this and didn't really know what to do or how to deal with that. Uh, I have bumped into some women in the past who were coming forward and saying they struggle with it. I usually send them to other strong women in the faith that they can find help with. Again, I I focus 99.9% of my counseling time with men only, as I just think that's a a good boundary to have in my life, a safe boundary to have in my life, Um, and I believe that's what God's called me to do. But let's define and like separate 
because I know there's a lot of guys out there saying, JR, come on, man, you know, I look at porn, that doesn't make me a porn addict. Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is you may be right. Um, there are some people uh, who drink moderately and are not alcoholics. Uh, so, I mean, there are some people who view pornography that I would not put inside of an addiction category. Uh, I will say this. I don't support pornography. I don't think it's a healthy thing that any man should entertain in his life. I don't think it's taking you anywhere positive. Um, and I mean, believe it or not, I have counseled with and, and read in books about how porn addiction is running rampant in the senior citizen community. Uh, a lot of widows, widowed men, uh, who really don't have a desire to be with another woman, you know, are turning to pornography to uh, meet their physical needs. Uh, there are, are men in that season of their life who struggle with uh, erectile dysfunction and can only seem to find sexual pleasure through pornography. Uh, I think those are lies. I think there's other things that we could talk about in another podcast uh, that would help those men. But I'm just kind of laying out the raw numbers, the raw facts uh, as I have run into them, you know, throughout my time of dealing with uh, sex addiction. So uh, let's let me read some things to you. Um, I am reading a piece off of the website uh, to love, honor, and vacuum.com. I highly recommend this website for uh, women, Christian women, who are looking for help in their sex life with their husbands. Um, uh, the women who run this site are just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, they're, they're in love with, with Christ, and they're really doing a, a great work and uh, making it okay to talk about sex and making it okay to uh, get your freak on with your man, you know, in your marriage bed, the way God intended it, you know, to happen. Um, but here are some things that they list in an article. Uh, see, the article was called uh, 10 Things You Should Know About uh, Women's Pornography Addiction, and they were kind of identifying what is an addict. So if any of these things sounds familiar to you, or if any of these things uh, is like really hitting a nerve with you, chances are you have an addiction issue, whether you're male or female. So here we go. An addict uses their substance, and in this case, when we say substance, we're talking about pornography. Uh, maybe masturbation as well. Um, an addict uses their substance to comfort themselves and to obtain an emotional and sometimes physical high. An addict thinks about their substance all the time. They look forward to when they can use it again and will plan their day and even their relationships around it. An addict either hides their addiction or expects people to accept their use of it, sometimes making excuses for it or blowing off the concerns of those who care about them. An addict will take nearly any opportunity alone to use their substance. An addict will ruin a relationship because they don't want to lose access to their substance. An addict is convinced that their substance is one of the only things in life that will make them feel good. An addict believes that their substance accepts them. Uh, one thing I teach guys about pornography uh, when we're trying to tear down the illusion of pornography is that porn never says no. Porn never tells you, no, you can't have me. And um, 
that is a huge temptation to have to work through. Um, next, the addict lets their substance use uh, become such a deeply ingrained habit that they will use the substance just because it's what they do. It's like a part of their daily routine, even if they know that it won't make them feel better. An addict might want to give up their substance abuse, or they may not think their substance abuse is a problem at all, or they may even realize they have an addiction. They may not even realize they have an addiction. Addicts are emotionally tormented by their uh, unmet emotional needs and by the guilt of that their addiction brings. We're going to talk about something called the shame cycle here in a minute that's part of um, porn addiction. Um, addicts often feel quite lonely. Some are suicidal. I have definitely run into many, many guys struggling with pornography that were suicidal. Uh, when it comes to the substance abuse, addicts are habitual liars to both themselves and others. So if that uh, hits a nerve with you and if that is something that is um, speaking to you, you may have a porn addiction. Just saying, just laying that out there. It's something you got to figure out with God. The Bible says every man and woman has to seek out their salvation in fear and trembling. I think uh, it's in times like this we have to get honest with ourselves. We're all about truth here at the Truth Lab podcast. Uh, we got to bring truth to the table and get honest about who we really are. So um, let's talk about the effects of porn on the brain. There have been uh, chemical studies done that prove that um, the brain releases the same chemicals when you're having an orgasm is what are released when you are snorting cocaine and you are using narcotics. So that is where the addiction component enters into the situation. Um, there's all kinds of secular studies that are now coming because this is becoming an epidemic now. You, even Even... Even secular scientists are coming to the table and saying, hey, look, something's got to be done about this because it's distorting the brain, especially of our youth, which is something we'll touch here in just a second. Uh, the other thing that they, that they discovered is uh, we connect ourselves to whatever we're looking at during orgasm. So if you're looking at this fake fantasy illusion on your phone or on your computer screen while you're having orgasm, then that is what you tend to tie your sexuality to. And then when you get in a situation where you're with a real woman, and I have had this out of literally dozens of guys in their 20s who should be getting an erection every time the wind blows, who are struggling with porn-induced erectile dysfunction, which means they can't get excited and have sex with a real woman because they have so connected themselves to this false illusion of pornography. That may sound completely ridiculous to you, but you have to remember this is a subject that not a lot of guys talk about. Uh, the only conversations I have heard outside of counseling and recovery uh, circles about this subject has been in a derogatory way toward women, objectifying women, uh, I remember I, I was I was at a show one time, setting up on stage, and the guys in the band, the drummer and the uh, 
and the bass player were talking about their daily masturbation habits and how, you know, man, if they just don't masturbate every day and look at porn every day, they're just, they're just impossible to be around and they're grumpy and all this kind of stuff and everything and they're laughing about it and they're kind of looking at me thinking that I'm going to kind of jump on board and I look them both in the eye and I'm like, that's not something that I practice. So you could have, it was a really tense, awkward moment to say the least, uh, because when you're, when you stand up in the midst, especially in circles of men, because you have this testosterone driven, oversexed, you know, mentality to where, you know, a lot of these men don't think they're even validated as a man unless they're objectifying women and they're this, you know, super stud that, you know, you know what I'm saying. And when you put a godly man in the middle of that conversation who stands up and says, no, I don't support that. I think pornography's bad and I, I don't have a habitual habit of masturbation. Then that tends to throw a big old bucket of cold water on the situation. But I learned that, you know, during my own personal recovery that whenever you stand up for truth and integrity, it's always going to make people who are blind or living in denial uncomfortable. And I just have to learn to be comfortable around that kind of tension. Uh, I really honestly just try to steer away from those sort of conversations when they come up. Um, unless they come up around brothers, I have a right and have earned the right to speak into their lives. And then I, I, I dive in with, with you know, both, both feet at that point. So we connect ourselves to what, it, what we're looking at when we have an orgasm. So, you know, I, yeah, there's a lot of husbands that I have talked to. Um, who are in their, you know, middle to late 40s, early 50s. Their wives don't look like 24-year-old models anymore because they've had kids and, you know, time has done its thing to all of our bodies. And they get so wrapped up in the fantasy of pornography that they have forgotten all the things that they physically fell in love with with their wife. Because I'm going to tell you now, the way you stay connected to that is by not looking at this other junk and it doesn't even have to be pornography if you're someone who you know um manages a concession stand at the the public pool you know and you're you're sitting there you know obsessing over all the young girls in the string bikinis and stuff like that how can you expect to go home and have a healthy sex life with your wife you're not you know and guys let me let you in on a little secret women aren't stupid and they know their man and they live under huge amounts of stress and anxiety trying to live up to and trying to keep their man's attention, trying to stay beautiful. You know, many go under the knife for plastic surgery and things like that, all to keep themselves competitive, you know, with their man. And the best gift you can give your wife is to remove that element from your marriage and remove that element of her having to live up to something like that and make her, validate her, and make her feel beautiful exactly the way she is. And if, and what I teach and what I have seen many times play out with guys I've sponsored and, and guys that I've counseled is that if you start starving yourself off of the pornography, it's only a matter of time before that fire starts to rekindle between you and your wife. But it starts with some discipline, and it starts with getting away from the, the, the junk and the, and the false illusions of pornography. Guys, come on. These women are paid to act this way. This is not how real women act in bed. You know, it's just, it's, it's a false illusion. It doesn't really exist. So we connect ourselves to pornography in many ways. Um, 
you know, we get stuck in this thing called a shame cycle, which is you use the pornography, then you feel guilt and shame about it. That kind of drags you into this pit of isolation and this pit of depression. And then you go back to the pornography to try to feel better again. And then it's just this cycle of failure, this cycle of shame. You use, you feel shame, then pornography is the only thing you think is going to make you feel better, so you use again, and that that will go on for a certain amount of time until you hit rock bottom, and then the pornography doesn't make you feel better anymore. The masturbation doesn't make you feel better anymore. It just seems like a physical act that you're doing. It goes back to what we were just describing as an addict who uses just because that's what they're used to doing, and they do it even knowing that's not going to make them feel better. That's an addiction trait. And if that's your life, you're an addict and you need to get some help. And there's no shame in, you know, that light coming on, guys. You know, there's no shame in going to a meeting and saying, hey, you know what? You know, my name is Ted and I struggle with pornography. Because what you're going to find out is by the time they get around the rest of the room, Almost every guy in that room is going to confess the same thing. Because this literally is almost every man's battle. I have only met one person in my entire life. Uh, and he's a, good, a dear, precious pastor friend of mine who said he's just really not into sex. So I'm going to, you know, take a radical leap and say 99.9% of men are into sex and are into you know, or a, or let me see, how can I say this correctly? They are easily distracted by a beautiful young woman. Let's put it that way. Even if you're bouncing your eyes, which is a concept we get out of the book, Every Man's Battle. You're welcome to read that. That's a great book. I recommend, uh, at the altar of sexual idolatry. I think that's a better book because it's kind of a gloves off approach, but um, even if you're doing and practicing and working the program and, and doing things correctly, um, it's still a constant struggle. And it goes back to the beautiful mind analogy that we uh, talked about in the last podcast about how at the end of that movie, The Beautiful Mind, if you haven't seen that movie, by the way, check it out. It's, it's, it's a great, powerful movie to watch. But the guy was schizophrenic. He was uh, a genius mathematician. Uh, at a, a Ivy League school, university, and at the end of the movie, they asked him if he still seen these people that were a figment of his imagination, and it kind of, you know, jacked his life up earlier in the movie, and he looks down at the end of the hallway, and there they are sitting, and he's like, yep, I still see them, and I don't think they're ever going to go away, but as long as I keep ignoring them, and as long as I don't feed them, then that's where they're going to stay is at the end of the hallway. But the second I start feeding them and the second I start showing them some attention, I'm going to go right back to the insanity that I was living in before. That's, that's recovery as a whole, but boy, does that really hit the nail on the head when you're talking about porn addiction because you're surrounded by it. You know, we live in a world that is oversexed in every, you know, facet of life. You can't watch a football game without some half-naked women trying to sell you beer during the commercials. You know, you can't walk into a convenience store without magazines on the rack that, you know, got all kinds of scantily clad women. God forbid you live in a college town where there's young women running around during warm weather with hardly anything on and, you know, stuff like that. So my, my advice is always that 
It's like Jesus was talking to these disciples. He goes, my prayer isn't that you're removed from this world, but that you learn to live in it. You know, I'm not a guy who is going to tell you to get rid of your cell phone and your computer and stuff like that and everything else because, you know, my cell phone makes me money. I mean, I make my I work in the music business. I make my living on Facebook and on every band I work with, I communicate with on social media. You know, so I have to have those avenues in my life. My email box is blowed up every day with work, you know. Um, churches call me for install work and stuff like that, AV install work. That happens on my cell phone, you know. But you can install some accountability software on your computers and on your phones and things like that that will help you get the boundaries established and get you, you know, moving in the right direction that way. But we break that shame cycle by getting involved in a support group, reaching out, starting to talk about it with other men, you know, and getting some some help and some support, get an accountability network around you, a group of guys that love you, that are struggling with their 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 you know struggles, and are going to be there for you. Uh, get a sponsor, start working steps, you know, get involved in in, in groups that are going to you know help you get out of that rut because that shame cycle will drag you down into a pit so deep that suicide will start making sense to you. And I, I can't begin to tell you how many guys I have counseled that have been in that exact situation um, where they just, they just losing hope. You know, they know that they're a failure in the face of God's truth and the enemy never misses an opportunity to shove that knife in as deep as he can and twist it. He wants you to be defeated. He wants you to be a slave to this stuff. He wants you to believe his lies. He wants you to identify with what he he says you are. And getting involved in these support groups helps you re-identify yourself as a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You can get over this. You can rob this of its control of your life. Is it still going to be at the end of the hallway looking at you? Yep, probably is. Rest of your life. In Christian circles, we call that our daily cross. We pick up our daily cross and we follow Jesus. But if you don't feed it and you stay in the community of of strong Christian men that are going to help you step this out, you can have victory. You can restore your marriage. You can restore, you know, your relationship with God. God is standing there with his, with his arms out saying, look, I sent my son to die on a cross from you for you so that you don't have to live in this guilt and shame. Everything that's needed to be paid for this has already been paid on the cross of Calvary. Stop beating yourself up. Stop crucifying yourself. Stop, you know, getting in this mode of self-hatred and come to me. Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Let's get you in a, in a, in a place of restoration. Uh, we can't have this conversation without talking about how porn affects women. And I'm talking about women, not women who struggle with porn addiction, but our wives, our girlfriends, our fiance, you know, the people that are in our lives uh, that we truly do love. And uh, you have to understand that women already have an enormous amount of pressure on them to have to stay beautiful, stay thin, all the junk that the world throws at them. They got to dress in certain clothes, this, you know, and they're they're dealing with all kinds of hormonal stuff that us as men will never be able to understand, guys. Never be able to understand. I always say this when I when I'm talking about this part of sex addiction, and that is that women could will never understand what it is 
to be a man. It's impossible. It's impossible for a woman to step into a man's role and understand what it is to have the testosterone-driven, you know, hyper-macho, you know, sexuality that we're expected to have and the pressures that we have to deal with that. But at the same time, we will never, ever understand what it's like to be a woman. We will never understand what it's like to have to fight their own hormones and their own bodies to try and keep their head on their shoulders and not be in a constant cycle of self-hatred because they can't live up to what society says they should be. Which is all a lie and an illusion. That's a whole nother conversation. But yeah, we have to understand this objectifies women. This makes this is going to make your wife feel like she's not good enough, especially if she's a wife who struggles with self-image. Maybe she's put on a few pounds over the years. We all do. In Proverbs 31, it says that uh, charm is deceiving and beauty fades away. I always bring this up when I'm, I'm doing marriage counseling with people struggling with sex addiction or pornography addiction. And I say, you know, what God's trying to tell us in that scripture is when you take beauty and charm out of the equation, what are you left with? It better be your best friend because that's who you should have married. The charm... And the beauty attracted you, but that courtship time that you go through before you get married is there for you to discover who that person really is. That courtship time is not there for you to manipulate the woman to get you to have sex with her before you get married or to have a a half a dozen other forms of sex-ish actions that really is sex. Look, let me bust your bubble and just go ahead and say it. If you're sharing orgasms with another woman, you're having sex with her. I don't care if it's over a phone, if it's FaceTime, or if you're sitting across the room from each other. If you are sharing orgasms, you are having sex. Let that sink in. I know that's not a popular notion. I know Bill Clinton and a bunch of other people want to argue that maybe that's not what what sex is. I'm telling you, biblically, that's what sex is. You're connecting yourself with that person when you share an orgasm with them. God gave you the ability to have an orgasm to connect you spiritually with your wife. Connect you. It's a physical union that solidifies a spiritual connection between a man and a woman. That's why they have sex on the night they get married. That's the last stage of that marriage ceremony is to connect spiritually. Sex is spiritual. That's why when you look at pornography, it pollutes you spiritually. It distorts your views. It doesn't bring anything good to the table. So you have to understand that that when your wife knows you're struggling with this, granted, she needs to have you know grace and mercy toward you. She needs to help you, you know, in this in this battle because man it's it's a war uh, but at the same time you need to understand and not minimize the effects of your actions on your wife I know too many young guys who spent their courtship time trying to get laid instead of really discovering who that woman was then they get married they have crazy freaky sex for the first three months And then the woman wakes up one day and like most women do that are, you know, in their mid twenties and says, uh, okay, well there's more in life than sex. So how about we go to the antique mall today? And the guy sitting there, you know, who's the closet porn addict, sex addict, like, man, all I want to do is have sex all day. 
So then when she starts denying him that because he has an unhealthy drive, well, then now we're starting to lay the foundations of his addiction issues inside his marriage. I always say this, if you can't be sexually pure before you get married, you'll never be sexually pure after you get married. That's just the way it is. That's a fact. If you can't get off of porn and you can't get yourself straight before you get married, you will never be straight after you get married. Oh, you'll go through those initial times, the three months to, you know, two years of where, you know, you and your wife are just, maybe you, you marry someone with a high sex drive and you guys are just bumping ugly. It's like, you know, it's, it's nobody's business and you're happy as a, as a pig in mud. But at some point, life starts to kick you in the teeth. Maybe kids come along. Believe me, that's going to have effects on your sex life. Trust me. I have two kids of my own. I know how that works. You're going to have to face the fact that sex is not the center of our life in this world. And guys, let me tell you another little thing. And that is your head will not explode off your shoulders if you don't have an orgasm every day. I remember saying that to a group of guys about two years ago, and you it was like somebody just murdered, murdered Mother Teresa in the middle of the room. Everybody was in complete shock and awe. And I'm like, listen, guys, you realize that there are people who go through this entire life and never have an orgasm. There are men who have dedicated their lives to being single, dedicated their lives to the ministry, who's never had sex and have no intentions of ever have sex. You don't have to have an orgasm every day to release pressure or to, I mean, if you're going to go down that rabbit hole, well, then you might as well start smoking cigarettes because it's the same thing people who smoke cigarettes say, I got to have a cigarette. I got to have a cigarette because I just too much stress. I got to have a cigarette, you know, the whole time the cigarette's killing them. It's the same way with this. It's a lie, man. It's a lie. You don't have to have an orgasm every day to survive. What you need to do is put healthier coping mechanisms in your life. Exercise is huge. I, I send every one of my guys right to the gym. If you don't have a gym membership, go get one tomorrow. And go to the gym, preferably late at night when it ain't full of like, you know, women in yoga pants and all that crazy stuff and everything. And you're sitting there on the machine fantasizing about the girl across the aisle from you. That's not the purpose of the gym. What I'm saying is go in there and work off this energy, work off this stuff. There were studies done. Uh, I think it was by Yale or Harvard, one or the other, where they put, they were talking about the effects of exercise on depression. And what they discovered was they gave one group of guys, uh, antidepressants, and they gave another group of guys sugar pills, but gave them a daily exercise regimen. A year and a half later, the results of those tests were exactly the same. In fact, the people who were exercising had more energy, had a better attitude, and the medicated depression group, once you hit that 18-month mark, those drugs start taking you toward depression, not away from it. That's why they always have to adjust your medication every 18 months. Because it stops working. Most of those, and I'm not a doctor, so don't take this to the bank. I'm just telling you what I've seen in my own life and with guys I've worked with. Those, that medication is a temporary fix. That's what it was designed to do. And that's what, if you, if you were going to take that long term, you're going to be on a medication roller coaster the rest of your life. Again, figure that out with your doctor. But it's the same thing with sex addiction. 
that exercise will help you immensely in trying to work off all this energy that you have built up. Or, you know, go out and do yard work. Do productive. That's what I like to do. I like to, I mean, I don't want to go to the gym and just sit on a treadmill. I mean, I'd probably do it more in the wintertime because it's cold and you can't go outside and work. But, you know, in the summertime, man, I'm, you know, if I'm going to go exercise, I want to get something out of it, not just stand there in the gym and stare at the wall for an hour while I'm on the treadmill. I'll go out and work in the yard, get things done around the house. Stay busy. That's the second thing. Stay busy. You have to stay busy. An idle mind is a devil's playground. I know a guy whose greatest issue with pornography was when he woke up in the morning. He would wake up in the morning, pick up his phone to clear his emails and his notifications. Next thing you know, he's somewhere he shouldn't be online. And he's off to the races. That guy made one behavior modification in his life and it turned his life upside down. What he did was when he got up in the morning, the first thing he did was he got up, he grabbed his phone, he went out into his living room where his roommate was, and he sat in his living room. This guy was single. He sat in his living room and cleared his emails and his notifications, and it stopped him from going to the pornography sites. Just that one little simple behavior modification made a huge difference in his life. Did it solve his problem? No. But it was a huge step in the right direction and it gave him hope that, hey man, maybe I can get a handle on this. Because most guys that struggle with this are of two camps. The one camp is they don't think it's a big deal. They minimize it. You know, my wife just needs to get over it. All guys do this. This is just how guys are, you know, blah, 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 and all that kind of jazz and everything. Those guys are living in denial. The second camp are guys that know that it's wrong and they're beating themselves up over it every day. And if they don't get help, they're going to end up in a deep, dark pit of depression. One of the first things you have to do in recovery from sex addiction or porn addiction is learning to see women as people, not objects of your desire. And I mean, you take guys who have been, uh, one guy that I am very close to and spent many, many years uh, working with, uh, he graduated from pornography right into the swinger scene and was having sex with several women a day. Pornography was just kind of like drinking water every day with him. It was just something that got him from point A to point B. He never really masturbated to pornography anymore, but it got it got his motor running and got him... He was shuffling women in and out of his house like crazy. And it ended up leading him to a nervous breakdown because he was a Bible-believing man. And he knew what he was doing was wrong. He carried enormous amounts of shame with it. But he came from a long history of sexual abuse in his childhood. And the only way he knew how to feel love at that point in his life was through sex. The only way he got any validation in his life was through sex. Why? Because that's how he got validation from the people who sexually abused him as a kid. And the second we started putting that together, the second we started working through the nuts and bolts of that distorted connection with sex was the beginning of the rest of his life. Now he's got almost 10 years in recovery. He's living in victory. Not that he doesn't struggle, because I'm sure he does. We all do. But it doesn't control him like it used to. I remember him telling me he had almost 60 sex partners 
the year before he came into recovery. 60. Think about that for a second. That's sex addiction, guys. That's where pornography can lead you very easily. Now he's free of all that. And it's a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. I couldn't be happier for the guy than anything in the world. We have to think about the effects of pornography on our youth as well. We have a whole generation now. This is the first generation that can't remember life without the internet that is coming up through the high schools now. Um, I'm scared to death. I don't know about you guys, but I'm scared to death. You got impressionable young men and women from, I mean, with girls, it starts at like 10, 11 years old. With guys, it starts at 13, 14 years old where puberty's kicking in, their hormones are kicking in, and they're starting to notice, the little girls are starting to notice that their breasts are developing, and now guys are showing them attention that they never showed them before, and they like that attention. Most kids from that generation are coming out of broken homes or blended families, so there's a whole lot of buckshot in the family unit at home. Um, If you don't believe me, just ask any elementary school teacher right now what their classes are like. And they'll, they'll tell you the horrible truth of how broken and how jacked up this generation is. And if we don't inject Jesus into this generation and revival doesn't break out in, our, in, in this generation, I don't know where we're going to be in another 20, 30 years or something like that. But, uh, you know, those are things we just got to trust God about. But you've got kids that are growing up and this is how they're learning what sex is. You know, this is, this is why they end up in my group in my recovery group at, you know, 19, 20 years old, can't get an erection because they're so polluted with pornography, scared to death of a real woman. Scared to death. Let that sink in, man. Think about that for a second. That's insane. But we've got single parents that are putting smartphones in the hands of seven, eight-year-old kids. I've got a buddy of mine that's an elementary school teacher. He says he's got kids that are six, seven years old in his school that, that got iPhones nicer than his. I've seen an interview. Well, I've, I've seen one interview on TV, and I read about an interview um, in a magazine. One was with Steve Jobs. The other was with Bill Gates. And they had asked both of them, you know, at what age they were allowing their children to have access to the Internet. They both had the same answer. 18 years old. Bill Gates sat on TV with his wife and said, there's no way we're giving our kids access to the internet at 14, 15, 16 years old, much less six, seven, eight years old. Something's got to be done. Something's got to be done. And it starts with us. It starts with us adults that struggle with these things, discipling our children, discipling young men and women discipling young women, that there's a better way. That God's plan works so much better than this junk that the enemy has out there. Uh, Another thing that you cannot ignore in this conversation is the subject of masturbation. 
In reading the book, Every Man's Battle, I was very disappointed at how they really didn't address this. They, the only thing they had to say about it was that the Bible was silent when it comes to the subject of masturbation. And that is true. The Bible does not come out word for word and talk about masturbation. But what the Bible does talk a lot about is self-gratifying behavior, feeding our flesh, that we are to flee from sexual immorality. No one's going to convince me that the act of masturbation is healthy. And I know that there are some secular uh, uh, counselors and psychologists and, you know, psychiatric community is all about, you know, trying to justify that stuff. All that is is just the enemy trying to make wrong right and right wrong. I'm telling you right now, if, if you're masturbating to pornography or you're masturbating with someone over your cell phone that isn't your wife or isn't your husband, you are cheating. You are committing adultery in your marriage. You don't have to believe it. That's entirely between you and God. I'm just telling you the facts. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of men around me. And it's it's no way to be. It's not God's plan for marriage. Our wives are supposed to be the center of our sexuality. And if you're blessed enough to have a wife that understands that and wants to be the center of your sexuality, brother, you hit the gold mine. That's half the battle right there. That's half the battle. Life is a whole lot easier to stay sexually pure when you're getting what you need at home. And women... If you're someone who likes to play games with your sex life with your husband, like if he makes you mad, you're going to withhold sex from him, or you're going to use it as a control mechanism to control your husband, you are setting yourself up for disaster. And I'll tell you why. We live in a society right now that is preaching to men that if you ain't getting what you get what you need at home, the women are lined up to meet your needs someplace else. And if it's not pornography, it's someplace else. I've counseled men who were in marriages for 40 years with women who just were selfish, didn't care. You know, maybe they were mad over something that happened 20 years ago and were just people who held a grudge. I know one one couple specifically that were in their late 50s and the guy was visiting prostitutes. He came to my program because he was trying to get pure and away from that. He didn't have a problem with pornography at all. To him, pornography made no sense whatsoever. He's like, why in the world would I want to get all worked up over that when I could just go get the real thing from a prostitute? We all have a responsibility to our spouse. Men, you're supposed to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ gave everything for the church, everything. And that's what you're supposed to give to your wife. I'm not sitting here telling you, ladies, that, you know, you need to be uh, Jenna Jameson or some, you know, porn star or something like that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying you know your man, meet his needs. If you don't know his needs, then you need to start having some real conversation in your house and discover what his needs are. Because it's your responsibility to be the center of that, and it's his responsibility to keep you the center of that, to allow you in that. Guys, you need to become somebody your wife wants to have sex with. Hello? If you're a jerk all the time, no wonder you're not getting laid at home. You know, how about, you know, 
being somebody she wants to have sex with. Respect your wife. Don't be too harsh on her. Don't be such a perfectionist. Give her a break. You know, if you're asking for grace and mercy as you struggle with your addiction issues, make sure you're showing her grace and mercy for the issues she struggles with. Because you can't get grace if you're not going to give it. At least in this world. It's vitally important that your relationship is healthy at home. It's vitally important that you are discipling to your children that it's okay that mom and dad enjoy having sex together with mom and dad. Not something they see on their phones or on their computer when no one's looking. You know, not a third party involved in your in your marriage. But a husband and wife having a, a healthy, loving, romantic relationship in front of your kids. It's the best gift you could give your children. Is to show them what true love looks like. And what true intimacy looks like. See, because that's the thing that is removed from the sex addict is they trade sexual intensity for intimacy. Usually they have to go through an enormous amount of counseling and and, uh, support group, you know, format type help to get them to a place where they can connect on an intimate level because they don't know how to be vulnerable. All they know how to do is tune out and treat their wives like a piece of meat. In most cases, sitting there thinking about someone else. This is life and death stuff, guys. Families are breaking up every day over this stuff. There are, there was a, um, oh, what was it? I think it was called Chasing the Cardboard Butterfly. It was a secular documentary on sex addiction. It was narrated by James Hetfield, of all people, which kind of shocked me. But he actually did a great job. And the premise of the movie is um, surrounded with this idea of butterflies want to have sex with the biggest, most colorful females. So the bigger the butterfly wings, the more colorful the butterfly wings, the more sex they get. So what they did was they created this unnaturally huge and colorful cardboard butterfly. And the male butterflies were killing themselves trying to have sex with it. Literally killing themselves trying to have sex with this butterfly. And that, and that butterfly was made out of cardboard. That's pornography, guys. It's not real. It's fake. Look up Shelly Lubin on uh, YouTube. She is an ex-porn actress, adult film actress, turned Christian, and her ministry is pulling men and women out of the pornography industry. And when you start looking at the, at the numbers she brings to the table about the porn industry, uh, let me just throw a couple of them at you. 40% of all, uh, of all the people who participate in adult films commit suicide or die from a drug-induced situation or, you know, something like that, something that is related to something they were using to cope with what was going on. There was a whole lot of self-inflicted gunshot wounds. She has a, a, a video on her YouTube channel of all the porn stars that have died and how they died, and it goes on for 30 minutes. People who were in the industry... 
You know, I think uh, what was it? The, the girl that did Deep Throat was in was in the porn industry for 17 days and it ruined the rest of her life. 17 days. That's how you destroy the illusion of pornography is, is to start hearing some of the true stories that are coming out of that industry that, that the enemy does a great job of hiding from you. Drug use runs rampant. You know, these are daughters and sisters and brothers and uncles that are making big money to get on screen and pretend to be into each other. Look, I'm not saying there's not people working in pornography who think it's all good and they love it and it's the best career move they ever made because there are people out there like that. I'm not the guy, I'm, I'm about truth. So I'm not the guy that's going to sit here and paint it all like, you know, every person working in pornography is, is miserable and, and you know, was a victim of the, of the industry and stuff like that because there are a lot of people in there who are not victims. This is exactly what they wanted and they got what they wanted. But they're a minority. That number is a minority. The majority of the people who work in pornography live the rest of their life in some sort of guilt or shame because of it. I have a very good friend of mine whose wife worked with a girl at a nursing home. She was a nurse. And um, she got through nursing school by flying out to San Fernando Valley in California, which is the porn capital of the world, and filming adult films. She'd go out uh, for two or three weeks and do some films, and that would pay for a semester of nursing school. And she did that all through college. Not understanding, not realizing that 10 years later at her, at her job, people are snickering and pointing and looking at their phones and showing each other her videos that are still on the internet. And there's nothing she can do about it. She signed over all her rights to those films to the filmmakers. It's destroying lives, guys. It just is. I see it with my own eyes. It's just absolutely an epidemic. It's every bit as bad as the opiate epidemic. It has just as horrible results. It breaks up families just as much. We have to get serious about this. So let's let's talk about breaking free of it. We've talked enough about the gloom and doom of the industry. Let's, let's talk about breaking free. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it, it talks about uh, the concept or the behavior of taking every thought captive that comes into your mind and weighing it against the Word of God. And then if it doesn't, you know, weigh into uh, what is healthy and what is right for your Christian walk, then you cast it down. That's a practice that has to become part of your DNA in recovery from sex addiction. The battlefield is in your mind. And the more you feed your mind the Word of God and Christian teaching and podcasts like this, the more you put truth into there, the more you push out the darkness. The more you turn the light up in the room, the more darkness goes out. So you are what you eat in your mind. 
Uh, I mentioned exercise. Exercise is huge. Support groups. Get involved in a support group. If you're not a Christian and you don't feel comfortable in a celebrate recovery group because it's a Christian-based program, go get involved in uh, Sex Anonymous, S.A. I think it's Sex and Love Anonymous because I think they tie the whole love thing in there too because a lot of people are addicted to being in love. That's, that's where the numbers turn the other way with women being the majority. There's just a whole lot more women that are in love with the idea of being in love than there are men. Men tend to be more physical. Women tend to be more emotional. I know that's not everybody, but that's typically the way it goes. So get involved in in an SA group, you know, and just surround yourself with guys you can get honest with and you can just talk about your struggles because that is half the battle. Don't isolate. Isolation is the enemy of sobriety. You cannot isolate yourself and think that you're going to stay sober. You will never do it. You will never do it. You need to keep yourself accountable with your wife and with your family. You need to stay busy. You need to be exercising. It's it's all these little things that you're putting in place that chips away at the rock and turns it into a sculpture. And it's not an overnight sensation. It's like the, the rest of recovery. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to be on mountaintops for months and months at a time and be like, man, I can't believe I've, I've gone, you know, eight months and, and not looked at pornography or masturbated, you know. And then you may slip and, and fall for a month or so or a week or a day. It's a roller coaster. I, this is the very reason why I don't encourage uh, sex addicts or porn addicts to uh, participate in chips. Chips, I think, when I say chips, I mean when you go to the program, you get a chip for 30 days sober, a chip for six months sober, a five-year chip for being five months sober. We've all seen that you know, on TV playing out with AA and you know groups like that. I think that's a chemical thing. I really do. I really do. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily encourage my guys to go pick up chips for being 30 days sober and 60 days sober because this is never going to go away. You're going to spend the rest of your life working the program. You're going to spend the rest of your life trying to rise above it. Them, and, and, and that temptation and those things that you allowed into your life are always going to be at the end of the hallway waiting for you to show their attention. And if you're like many of these guys who have spent 30 years of your life shoving pornography in your head, well, guess what? That's not, it, you're not going to like erase all that stuff overnight. God's not going to come down and wave a magic wand over you and poof, you don't ever remember, you know, porn that you looked at when you were, you know, 20 years old and now you're 50. No, you're going to have to slowly unpack that stuff in a healthy way in a counseling environment in a, in a sponsor, sponsee environment around your accountability guys and open share groups, things like that. That's how you get victory. And you stay sober by continuing to, to reach out. My guys have a group text thing that they do that is absolutely genius. It's really, really cool. When you have a sponsor, sometimes when you call your sponsor, your sponsor's not always available. So that's when you fall back on your accountability guys. You've got you know, five or six guys around you that are your accountability guys. So you start picking up the phone and calling them. Well, instead of going through all those phone you know, calls and all that stuff, they created a texting group 
of men that are all men in the recovery program. And when someone's struggling or someone's tempted or someone's on the verge of a slip or a relapse or having a bad day, they get on that text group and they say, hey, guys, man, I really could use some prayer today. I'm I'm struggling. Or, you know, hey, the, the girl that works across me, across the hall from me at work to just wore a miniskirt today and she is like driving me nuts and and she's a loose woman and I'm doing everything I can do to stay away from her and it's just I'm just having a, a warfare day and man them guys come running to their that guy's rescue they come running into those texting conversations with encouragement and prayer and things like that and it's 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 been absolutely wonderful to sit and watch that's how you stay sober that's how you live above it's control. That's how you rob it of its control in your life. So, guys, that's basically my message today. I know I went long today. Uh, we're almost up to an hour. I've been trying to keep these down to 15, 20 minutes. But this is a deep subject, and I still didn't touch on all kinds of stuff that I could have touched on. I really just hit the tip of the iceberg. But I hope something in this ministered to you. I hope something in this hit a nerve. I hope something in this makes you pick up the phone and get involved in a program or get honest with your wife or wife get honest with her husband and that truth can become the center of your relationship with Christ. Truth can become the center of your marriage. Truth can be the center of your family unit at home.